Girl, we're we're into the bonus episodes. This is year three of doing the Thursday bonus <gasps> apps. That's right. How amazing is Our that? Our gift to you during the best time of the year, October, November, you. December. <laughs> Chile and Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. Hey, fam. Before we get to the show, uh, how about we do this? How about we ask you to join us at the Patreon? Sure. So, Why fam, not? whether if you didn't know this, we have over at this point probably four hundred full ad-free bonus episodes yeah, on the page, at least at the five dollar level, and you get those all the second you sign up. So, every series on Netflix, HBO Max, yeah. Hulu, anywhere that we've there, there's been a series, throw, throw a couple names With, out. Like, you know, the Janks or Bad Vegan yeah. or Tinder Swindler, yeah, Don't F with Cats, the Heaven's Gate thing, all the way back to serial. The yeah. staircase, Making a murderer. the jinx, which we did on our live tour yeah. this past year, which I think is like some of people's like favorite content. Yeah. The Scott Peterson might be innocent one. McMillions, yes. Pepsi Wars, My Jet. So you get all of those ad free plus the regular feed episodes. Ad-free. Yeah, you get the regular feed episodes ad free. We do after parties where we take your questions. Yeah. We kind of just hang out and chill. The Patreon is like a real fun way to get more GP and me if Ooh, that's what you're looking for. Right. And as I used to say all the time, who could blame you? Who could blame you know what I mean? Me. <laughs> no, but you know, join us. Come hang out if yeah. you're into that kind of thing. It's patreon.com slash truecrimeobsessed or uh, go to our website, which is gorgeous and new. Oh, yeah. Click on the Patreon link. Okay, great. Uh, what are we talking about today? So it's Dateline. It's called Missing Marie. It's season 24, episode 52, and we're here with Joshy Manx, Josh Mankowitz. Take it away, Josh. This is a story about secrets, about a woman who was very good at keeping them, and about what happened when that woman suddenly disappeared. She was really working for the CIA. That's my understanding, yes. An undercover job handling classified documents. But the real intrigue started when she went missing. We had concerns that there may be missing classified information. It could turn into an espionage investigation. Espionage? Was this some kind of international spy caper? Or maybe it was something closer to home. The case of a CIA mom. Could a clue from her son help solve this mystery? I'm never going to give up. Never going to give up on anything. This is about secrets. At first I thought this was a poem because he's like, secrets, we all have them. Uh Some are small. Some are large. Some are professional. (laughs) And I'm like, I get it. We're talking about secrets. Say the P-O-E-M word again. P-O-E-M? Uh-huh. Poem? (laughs) I say poem. It's a poem. Yeah, you're going to read your poems on tour. (laughs) Tour. Poem? You say poem. poem. It's a poem. Oh, God. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Here we go. Orange Florida laundry. There you go. You get them all at the top. <laughs> So we're here with Marcus Singleton. He is the son of the person we're here to talk about, Marie. He is dressed to the nines. So we also meet Kelly, who's a friend and also hairdresser, and Bridget and Jean Jones. These are all like friends. Marie was loved, and there are a lot of people here telling her story. And we learn about Marie's relationship with Marcus, her son. Like, they were kind of all each other had. Like, she was a single mom when she had him. He was the center of her world. She would travel a lot for her work. He would travel with her. Wherever she went, he was there. Whatever they did, they did together. Yeah, so, you know, she works for the federal government in Los Angeles. She was also an entrepreneur. She wanted to own her own business. Yeah. And her friends are saying that she was also, like, she was looking for a relationship. She thought she had everything, and, like, according to her friends, that was the thing she was looking for. She's like, she was looking for love. Yeah. You and know? then she met a cute guy. They had a lunch date. His name is Andre Jackson. Sparks flew. They were so excited. He's a single father of two. They just He's described as handsome. I was like, I will be the judge of that, Joshy Manx. Joshy Manx. Like, all right, fine. He is Joshy Manx is all about the secret. 
secrets. Um, it was a whirlwind. Things got really serious really quickly. Well, because the friends are like, the friends literally call it the whirlwind courtship. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what, that's, yeah, that's the way we would put it. Because one day she was smitten, next day she was in love, and then she was pregnant. Pregnant and having a, a wedding and no one knew about it. Then she's having a secret wedding that none of them were invited to. Except Marcus, because Marcus was in it. Her son Marcus was in the wedding. And he's eight when this happens. But I'm kind of like, Marie, why don't you invite your friends? And I was like, yes, please don't keep your wedding from your children. Everyone out there. (laughs) I get it. Sometimes weddings can be complicated. But at least Marcus knew about it. Yeah. So Marcus was eight years old. And then his little brother Marquise was born. We got got to talk about this. Because there's Marcus and Marquise. Then we learned that Andre had two children, Andre Jr. and Andrea. Yes. What is going on? going on. Yeah. It's just everyone will remember the names now. <laughs> That's true. It's a pretty simple way <laughs> yeah. to remember everyone's I, names. I guess so. I was like, you have a thing and you're sticking to it. Yeah. There are a lot of people who do that. It's like the Brinkley, Ashley, everything yeah. can have like a Lee at the end uh-huh. or everything can be like the same letter where it's like, oh, here are all my, here are my brothers, like Justin, Josh, and Jason. Uh, well, what was that stupid family? Like the one that, like the one where there was like the 19 kids and they all had the, the Duggars and they all have oh, Jay. fuck <laughs> those people. <laughs> the look on your There's... face at the, at the suggestion of the Duggars. Well, like aren't all the I men know. abusers oh, and all yeah. this shit? Oh, yes, yes, yes. There's an Amazon documentary that has been, I mean, now it's October, so maybe yeah. it's out now. Maybe it'll right. be on the calendar. But the same people who did Lula Rich, uh-huh. they're making a series about that piece of shit family. So we will definitely be covering that. They also had like a reality show. Yeah. Yeah. But also I was going to say just one last name thing. Like two of our dearest parent friends are Jason and Melissa. Yeah. And their son is Mason. Yeah. So it's oh, like. Oh, Mason and Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jason, Jason and Melissa. I did and it. Melissa that, I did exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. what they wanted. <laughs> Yeah, people get into that with names. You got her, guys. You got her. She did it. I'll she never know. You nailed it. Uh, what it's like to name uh, another <laughs> totally. human being. But did you guys not name Fiona? No, she was named Fiona. It's funny. We didn't name Daisy. It's the perfect name. I know that Daisy story is great. Yeah. So everyone was really, really happy. It was the best feeling in the world, they say. Marcus, especially because he had never had a dad. He'd never had siblings. Now he's got both. And he said, it finally felt like I had a complete family. I know. No, I just want to say families can be very complete, no matter what your family looks like. Yeah. You know? I get a lot of messages um, about people who are thinking about starting a family in the in the sense that they want to have children. Uh-huh. And I get a lot of questions about like, do I feel fucked up because I'm an only child? Like, do I feel like I, I missed out on anything? Uh-huh. No. No. I loved my little, just me, my mom, and my dad. Yeah, like, you I got, love like, that. Christmas times 10, forget but it. But I also didn't because Christmas and my birthday are so close. Oh, right. But like, I say to Mike, wow. like, sometimes I'll look at Mike and be like, I love our family. And our family is me, him, and Fiona. Of course. Do you know what I mean? Of so course. I'm, I'm into all that. So yeah. whatever. So it's November 11th, 1994, and Marie vanishes. And Marie is not Marie is a very very responsible person. Yeah. For her to vanish is it's, alarming. As it should be for if anyone just vanishes by the way. Yeah, we meet Rick from the FBI. He's like, "Yeah, we investigated this." And that's unusual because the FBI they say the FBI doesn't usually do these things. I'm like, "I feel like every case we talk about the FBI gets involved at some point, but maybe like this early in an investigation, the FBI isn't usually there." Because Rick is like, "We had concerns that there may be uh, Uh, missing uh, classified information, U.S. government information. Classified information? Yes. Officially, Marie Singleton worked for the Department of Defense. That's what was uh, publicly disseminated, yes. But she was really working for the CIA. That's my understanding, yes. 
Marie didn't actually work for the Department of Defense. That was just her cover. She was working for the CIA, to which I'm like, isn't the Department of Defense also no joke? I, yes, but the CIA, like, you can't tell anybody. Oh, yeah. And so they say there were classified documents missing. I said, did you check Trump's house? Did you? Did you? For the, oh, this was in 1994. And in fairness, did you check Biden's house? Did, I they mean, both had them. Look. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that, like, publicly, like, when people are like, what do you do for a living? She would say, I work for the Department of Defense. Right. That's a lie. She works for the CIA. This is some alias yeah. shit. Well, I know someone in the CIA, and he's allowed to say that he's in the CIA, but that's the, the conversation well, ends there. it could also be that maybe she doesn't want to tell people that she works for the CIA, because then some shit like this happens. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and, okay. So, yeah, okay. It's, <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah. It's November 11th, 1994, and Marcus, again, who's a kid, is at home. He's watching a Bugs Bunny movie. He falls asleep on the couch. His mother comes and says something to him. He doesn't really pay attention. She leaves. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, yada, yada, yada. I'm watching television. You were zoned out. I was zoned out. And then I'm so zoned out, and then finally I fall asleep. Marcus woke up later that evening to the sound of his baby brother crying. So I go downstairs. I'm like, why is this little kid crying? Where's everybody at? Eight-year-old Marcus goes downstairs to attend to his, like, screaming and crying infant brother. And he's like, where the fuck are the grown-ups? And then Andre... He and I are like, where the fuck are the grown-ups? So then Andre calls, and Marcus is like, hey, Andre, uh, Marie, my mom isn't here. Yeah. Like, what's going on? Like, it's just, like, us here. Like, even as an eight-year-old, he's like, this is not right. Like, why am I taking care of my little brother? It's so... Like, Daisy is nine, and there's no world in which I would leave her in the charge of an infant. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So the stepdad, Andre, says the last time he saw Marie was around five o'clock, just before he left for his son, Andre Jr.'s football game. And when he got home, Marie was gone and the car was gone. So now, okay, no one knows where she is. He takes, so Andre Sr. takes the kids to his mother's house and then he starts checking in with Marie's girlfriends to see if they know anything. And remember, it was 1994. So no cell phones, we're not tracking anything. You're just like calling someone's house and if they're there, they might answer. And if they're not, you have to wait. Yep, and there's pagers. Well, it's because Andre goes to best friend Bridget's house. She pages Marie. Marie doesn't call or page back. And they're paging her like crazy, and everyone's yeah. like, no, something is terribly wrong. This is very unlike her. So the, the next, next morning, morning, Andre knocked on the door of another friend, Gene Jones Apfel. And he said they had an argument. And I said, well, we had a little argument. Don't worry about it. But the second he told me that he had the baby, I knew something was wrong. And so you paged her how many times? I I couldn't count how many times I paged her. And no answer. No answer. When I saw that he, Andre, had the baby, I knew something was wrong. Right. Like, just saying that, like, there's no way that, like, she would be without the... the, the, What is happening here? So it's 18 hours missing. Andre calls the police and files a missing person. We hear it. I was like, damn, that call was from a long time ago. They have it. Jesus. So we learn a little bit about Marie's job at the CIA. Now, Joshie Manx... Yeah really, really wants her to be a spy. Josh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But it's we learned she was a code clerk for the CIA. And Joshie's yeah. like, she wasn't a spy, but... What? And I'm like, Joshie... <laughs> well, because like she works on communications for them. So I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Then they answer me. Yeah. Unbeknownst to just about everyone in her life, she's a code clerk, meaning she has access to like foreign intelligence that they tell us would be like really beneficial to enemies of the United States. And, like real like, classified information from overseas. Yeah. So Joshie's like, this could turn into an espionage investigation. Josh, Josh it's not God, going to. No. <laughs> 
that he really wants her to be a spy. Yeah. And I'm like, that's still badass. Like, you don't have to be a spy out of the movies, but she's got the codes. And she like she's got a secret job that she doesn't tell anybody about. Like, like oh my God. I could never keep a secret like that. No. I'd be like, yes, I will absolutely girl, guess what I'm doing? Yeah. You'd be terrible in witness protection. I would be oh texting my God. you under the table, like, oh my God, the fucking CIA just yeah. fucking hired me. Like, if you, you had to go into witness protection, you wouldn't because witness protection would and me, never. absolutely not. You could never. Like, I could get a job at Cinnabon and just do that for the no. rest of my life. Someone no. would recognize your voice. But now we have two investigations happening at once. The local cops look for a missing person. The FBI covertly looked for an intelligence worker who might have been kidnapped or changed sides. <laughs> or changed sides. Josh, changed. We're, we're not in a James Bond movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> because the, even the suggestion that Marie like changed skipped sides off to fucking Russia. To hang like, out with Putin or whatever. Like, no. The police and the FBI are doing parallel investigations and the cops don't know that the FBI is also investigating. Right. Well, this is a little different because the CIA is involved. That's true. But so Andre, so Andre tells Marie's friends to put up flyers near the beach down by LAX, by the airport in LA. And this is I know. Josh again. <laughs> To the camera goes. Where flights leave daily for Moscow and Beijing. By the way, where flights to Moscow and Beijing leave daily. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. He's he's at the beach saying that. Like saying it. Like there's like a plane. Like that could be. China air. Right. Like like Marie woke up and was like, fuck these kids. I'm leaving. I'm going to change sides. I know. Like no. No. Joshy. I know. No one wants this to be a spy story more than Josh. It's but it's changed sides, Josh. Josh Manx. Come on. Joshy Manx, we still love you. So it's Tuesday, November 15th. Marie's been missing for four days, and we meet a guy named Tim. Tim is not like me. At the end of a long, hard day at work, Tim decides to like drive down to the beach and go for a walk. To I'm unwind. not doing that. No you way. You also don't want to unwind. No. You would prefer to be as tightly wound as how possible. How do I get more wound up? That's... I need to get more wound up. You're Does doing anybody it. know? How to no do one knows it. how to wind you up more than you. <laughs> And you do it on a daily basis. I can see you like twisting and turning. Oh my God, that is right. You're right. Nobody knows how to wind me up better than me. Yeah. But Tim's just going for like a casual walkie walk down by the beach. Yeah. I saw a man uh, posting flyers um, for a missing person. The man was Andre Jackson. He actually mentioned that he was doing this because it was his wife and that she had last been seen on Friday. And... uh, he was seemed very concerned and obviously worried about it. He asked me then if I would take one of his flyers. And he gives Tim a flyer and just says, if you can keep a lookout, that would be really great. Now, on the flyer, in addition to, like, a picture of Marie and a description or whatever, there's a picture of her car because we haven't even said this yet. Her car is also missing. Yes, yes. She's gone. The car's gone. Tim, like, finishes his unwinding or whatever at the beach, gets back in his car, does a U-turn to leave, and as he's doing the U-turn, he passes Marie's car. Like, right where Tim and Andre were just standing. Like, 60 feet from where Andre was. He's like, how did this Andre guy not see the car that I am now seeing. It's right here. He's like scouring the like lo- like Los Angeles for this car. It's right behind him. So Tim, I don't know if Tim was like that's weird. Like he didn't go and like stop Andre in the moment. Tim goes right to the cops. Yeah. And the cops check out the car. And the car is covered in parking tickets which means it's been there a while which means I guess four days. Yes. How- I'm like, every- like can we lighten up with the parking tickets? Four Ugh, days worth of tickets? God, I God. know. Oh my God. But also the battery's been removed. The yeah. front seat's been tilted forward. There's a cell phone on the seat in the car, which Joshy Banks points out is unusual. For 1994. Not, 1994. I was I was one of the first people I knew with a phone, and really? I didn't get mine until 2000. 
was it enormous? No, no, it was. It wasn't. I mean, I wasn't like Richard Gere and Pretty Woman early, but I was like, did he have a cell phone? Remember when they go to the park and she's got like a Zach Morris phone? I don't really know Do that movie. Any I, of those words make any sense to you? Zach Morris, of yeah. course. Zach Morris had one of those phones that weighed like eight pounds, right? And yeah. you had to put the antenna. Out. Yeah, that, those, I, I just know you work on commission. Big mistake, huge. That's right. really all I know <laughs> from Pretty Woman. But like that was the early '90s. Like by 2000, they had like regular flip phones. Okay. So, but anyway, there's a there's a cell phone in the front seat of her car, which like stands out because cell phones were weird. But you know who probably had cell phones before any of us? The, the CIA. CIA. <laughs> like, For sure. We never come back to the cell phone, but it was there. It was there. Oh, God. And then they opened the trunk. Investigators opened the trunk and made a ghastly discovery. Marie Singleton was missing no longer. She had been beaten and strangled to death. So she has been beaten. She's been strangled to death. And all I think about, I even have in my notes, poor Marcus. That's where my mind I know. He's eight years old. Yeah. Eight. So Marcus comes home from school that day and he notices that like the missing persons flyers have been taken down. And he's like, that's weird. He goes home and everyone in his living room is sobbing. His like mom's friends are there. His dad, his stepdad is there. He's sobbing. And the dad... He says like the like that he's eight years old, Marcus, and the dad pulls the stepdad pulls him into a hug and said they found your mom's body in the trunk of her car. She's dead. She's God. He's like what? Eight years old gives her all the information. Jesus Christ! Like what on earth? What is going on? So thankfully, Marie's sister is here. Elaine is, Elaine is here to literally take no shit from anybody. Right. Elaine does not fuck around. No, she doesn't, and she's very respectful because yeah. Elaine was one of the few people who knew that Marie worked for the CIA, but she didn't know exactly what she did, and she didn't ask. And she didn't ask. She always respected her job, but now Elaine's like that ship has sailed. Now I have a ton of questions, and I'm going to ask all of them. And the first thing that she's here to say, and I was like, thank God she explains this because I was like, what? She's like, there is absolutely no. No way Marie would have left an eight-year-old in charge of an infant. That like, absolutely would never have happened. No way. She says that's preposterous. And no like, way. If you remember the story, Marcus is like eight years old watching fucking DuckTales or whatever. His mom says something to him, but he's so engrossed in the TV that he doesn't really hear it. And then the next thing he knows, he falls asleep and he wakes up and it's hours later. And I think his mom just would have, like, there would have been noise in the house if right. there was someone else for there. Hours like he would have hours. He like, would have been woken up for dinner. Like, so he yes. just, pat- and like, I, kids are tired. They need their sleep. I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, the friends and the sister all start talking and all conversations lead to Andre. First, there was Jean's story about what she saw that Saturday morning when Andre showed up at her home looking for Marie. He had a a bruise on his lip. Andre had a bruise on his lip? He did. He said, oh, I bruised it playing football with Andre Jr. Like, really? It's kind of fresh. And he says, oh, I bruised it playing football with Andre Jr. And she goes, I said, really? Looks kind of fresh to me. Yeah, so there are three stories here about this bruise on the lip. The first one is, one, uh, they got in a fight because Marie got hammered and wanted to go to the football game. And Andre said no, and she stormed out. That's story number one. Absolutely the least true of them all. Right. Then the second story is that Marie's ex-boyfriend is in town, and she's hanging out with him, and Andre's totally cool with it. Uh Like, what does that have to do with the busted lip. Right. And number three is I'll have her call you when she gets back. Click. As in stop calling here. As in stop calling and stop asking and shut up. Because everyone is saying that like Andre's story is changing. Right. Of course. And oh how about the big hole in the bedroom wall? Right. One of the friends goes over to the house to like you know just do what she can and sees a hole. She's like it's not where the doorknob is behind the door. It looks like somebody punched their fist through the wall. Right. And the cops are like ladies ladies please. (laughs) 
We're on top of it. We're going to arrest Andre at the funeral, okay? I we, know. We know what we're doing here. We're going to re-traumatize everyone a little bit, <laughs> you dumb but girls. They say, like, we totally know this guy's a piece of shit. We're looking at him, but then the arrest never comes. Right. And I'm like, you know what? Can we not re-traumatize people? Can we not arrest Marcus's stepdad at his mother's funeral? Exactly. Can we not do that? Yeah. There's got to be a better way. But then, like, they don't arrest him at all. A year passes, and when Sister Elaine leaves, she takes Marcus with her. Yeah, and they go to Philly. Which I was like, okay, I get. Okay, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was like, I don't know. I, I have no right to say anything about it, but I'm glad he's not with Andre. Right. So another year goes by, and then the anonymous letter arrives. Yeah. And it was typed. Good question, Joshi. She's like, typed, handwritten. What do we got? It was typed. The unsigned letter read in part... It is very unlikely that the individual or individuals responsible for her death will be brought to justice. Although you may be receiving lip service from her former office, believe me when I tell you that the agency has literally placed her death on the back burner. Her agency has placed her death on the back burner. Her former colleagues have been placed under a gag order. They've been ordered to cease all contact with Elaine's family in Pennsylvania, meaning Sister Elaine. Right. And someone in your family needs to stir the pot. Now, now everyone's all suspicious because they're right. like, is the CIA involved somehow? Like, is this a spy story? Did right. something happen? Is the government covering this up? Like, what is going on? And why hasn't Andre been arrested? But now it seems like person or persons. And it's like the, like, now it seems like it's more connected to her job than to, like, this letter is just indicating that it's more connected to the job than anything at home. Right. And there's still a lot of secrets. And what does Andre know? And is everyone in cahoots? Like, it just makes, like, Sister Elaine's like, it just made us spiral. Well, she, Sister Elaine is also saying that, like, my sister was an officer of the CIA. And the CIA never investigated or offered any kind of reward. Right, right, right. Or help at all in any way. Yeah. So the family turns the letter into the cops and crickets. No answers for years. The family won't give up. And FBI agent Rick, remember Rick? Rick Hagel. Rick Hadel. <laughs> I have a D in there. <laughs> I got a G. Okay. Whatever. I, I was typing fast. All right. I'm probably wrong. He's also not giving up because right. Rick never found evidence of espionage in Marie's murder, right? And, and, you know, this guy, like FBI agent Rick is like, I'm not going to let this fucking go. Like, uh, there's a dead woman who used to work for us. She gave her life to this, like, to the country. We got to find out what happened. Right. And Let's he's get like, her a little justice. Right. And that's great. But okay. I wonder, it's like, maybe people will give a shit more if she wasn't like a black woman. That's I what I got from that. It's like, oh, she's a federal officer. Okay, that's great. Yeah. But like, let's care well, for Rick's, many reasons. Rick's not giving up. He says, so here it is now, January 2002. I'm a squad supervisor now. I'm the guy that assigns the cases instead of investigating them. And I'm talking with an agent. And I said, Tony, how about reopening this case as an assault on a federal officer case? He wants to reopen Marie's case as an assault on a federal officer. So it's eight years after the murder, and now there's FBI Tony is here, because I yeah. guess FBI Rick assigned it to FBI Tony, and these detectives, Russ and Steve, and they all team up. But so the thing about, like, FBI Tony goes to meet with police officer Russ, who's one month away from retirement. He's like, oh, let's so the let's last do... thing I need. Or, I mean, I think you're right. He does look exhausted. <laughs> but he's also like, all right, one more for the road. Yeah, this you is know? out of a movie. It's you true. You know, like the one last case, oh, 
only have a month. Can to you solve imagine? It. Like you got one month left. You're charged with solving this case. Let's do it. Let's fucking do. Then it. what did I do this all for? For all those years. Honestly, do you know what I mean? Like, but the other possibility is that now this is going to be the case that just haunts him until he dies. Forever. I mean, you know? I think all things are true. Exactly. So the question is, like, will science and technology have advanced enough to help them out? The answer is yes. Because remember, she died in. She was killed in 1994. We're now in 2002 because they had found fingernail scrapings at the scene of the crime and a drop of blood on her car. But like in 1994, they couldn't really, they collected them, but they couldn't really do anything with it. I think about this all the time, how great it is that they collected things even though they weren't testing them at the time. And I'm assuming they would still do that now. Like there's probably oh, things yeah. that they're like, we're going to hold on to that. We don't know how to test it, like, but we're going to get that. I just can't believe that we hear cases from like 80, the 80s and 90s who just like have things. And even from before that, like I just think like who decided? Someone was like, we're saving everything. Well, I don't care if we can test <laughs> so, it or not. I wonder if it was like less about like what genetic material might be on it and more like we're, I wonder if we'll ever know why this Q-tip right, played a role I mean. in this murder. Yeah, like yeah. it's just, I, I, I just... I'm glad that that Same. was a thing. And like, we, I mean, remember when we covered Lizzie Borden? It's like, how did you ever solve a murder back then? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't Unless think they were solving many. No. They were hanging witches and there was a bad scene. I mean, like, through the 90s, serial killers just running around fucking killing people yeah. on, on killing sprees and it's stuff. Horrifying. Are I'm you kidding. Okay? There's a. <laughs> Like, like they just got away with it for so long. Know, My brain is fucked up about I it. I know. I agree. Sometimes I'm just like, God damn it. I know. It's really hard to exist sometimes. But by 2004, the evidence does get tested. They had collected originally the fingernail scrapings. They had collected the blood and Detective Enyard had been unable to get the lab to test it. So when I first got on the case, um, I started trying to cash in favors at the crime lab to get it done. But a 10-year-old cold case was not a priority. Three more years passed before those samples were tested. Three years for it to get tested. You want to know why? Everyone had to cash in favors. Yes. To which I said, Jesus Christ, we need to start over and do better. But I've also said this a million times, turn every Starbucks into a fucking testing lab. Right. There are plenty of people out there who would want that job. Teach them how to test it. They will do it. Yeah. So they, I almost said Dunkin's, but I need those. No, we need those. We need we need those. You can have your turn, Starbucks. Turn the Starbucks into testing labs. Right. We cannot be waiting three years for things. Yeah. Remember the letter, that letter, that typed up anonymous letter? Yes. It's a nothing burger. It was a dead end. It was a co-worker trying to encourage police to work harder. But also, like, the co-worker who was trying to, like, maybe solve the murder is also pointing away from the killer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we find out, spoiler, Andre did this. Of course he And, did. Like, the, like, whoever the co-worker was at the CIA is, like, now throwing, like, wrenches in the solving of the case. Yeah. It, my issue with this is, Dateline, if you're going to mention it, explain it better. Yes. Because you mention it, and then you give this confusing like it was a co-worker but it's like could it have been someone but they, else they also don't say a co-worker of who right so, you know what i mean Dateline. was it a co-worker of andre that would right. make sense so those are my notes Dateline. right totally. i didn't this you, was confusing you weren't invited into the editing room for a round i wasn't i know and i would have said like I, i'm totally hands off i'm just saying right. looking back i would love just like even give me some on-screen text. context yep. you know what i mean that's all we got so when they test that dna the dna found under marie's nails and the blood found on the hood of her car were from the same person, a man. And police thought they knew who that man was, Marie's husband, Andre. But Andre had moved out of California. 
Now, Andre is nowhere to be found. Yeah. So they track down his son, Andre Jr., and they test his DNA. So my question here is, like, was Andre Jr. just like, sure, you can have my DNA to see if my dad killed that lady? Again, they don't explain it. He just gave it to them. And they say it's a familial hit. Right. They they do this thing where, like, they call it a near miss, which sounds bad, but it's actually good. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's a near miss because it's like, they don't have Andre's DNA. Right. It's near to Andre's DNA. And so they're like, well, we don't have Andre, but, like, this did, like, Andre Jr., like, he did hit on the DNA. So, like, it's not Andre Jr., but it's someone he's related to. Exactly. So it's enough for an arrest warrant. They arrest Andre, the husband, in Tempe, Arizona. And there's a lot of suspicion here. Probably not enough for a jury to convict him, they say. Can I also just say, like, they arrest him. He can't make bail. So he sits in prison for four years. Now, he's the killer. I'm glad he's off the streets. Oh, yeah, the but bail what thing about is... a fucking speedy trial? Like, what? what four years? Oh. And he's not even, like, doesn't get a, a, a day in court that in happens four years? all the time. People, people die waiting for their... I mean, it's ins- it's, it, it is so fucking... And say, if you really like do the, the, some research on that and yeah. like what has happened in those cases, it is it is ridiculous. I just can't believe four years yeah. he sits in prison. It happens all the time. Wow. So people are saying like, well, they were married. Of course his DNA is going to be in the car. Does yeah. that really prove anything? I mean, and that's a fair point. You know what I mean? Like, of course it's going to be under her fingernails. They were married. Right. Explain the blood. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So after four years of him sitting in prison without like seeing a day in court, the prosecution doesn't feel like they have a super strong case. After Andre had been in jail for nearly four years, Lewin decided to offer a deal. We offered him voluntary manslaughter. He would have had to serve roughly another year and he didn't want it. His attitude was, you don't have any evidence. He says, you don't have enough evidence. Yeah. I mean, the prosecution only made this offer because they didn't have a lot of exactly. evidence. Exactly. And you know, he didn't take he's it. kind of right. So here's what the prosecution says happened. Andre and Marie had a fight. That fight got violent. He abused her and he killed her. But their issue is they need a witness. So what about Marcus? Right. And they interviewed Marcus in 2004, 10 years after the murder. And he wanted to help his mom, but Marcus is in a position, he says, like, I didn't want to lose Andre if I, t- if I tell... Marcus has a story, like a memory that he has. And he yeah. realizes, I already lost my mom. If he sort of leans into what he remembers, he's going to lose Andre too. And then he's going to have to admit what really happened. And the thing that's hard to reconcile here is that, like, we are meeting Marcus as an adult. Yeah. We have to remember that when his mom was killed, he was eight. Yes. Andre was the only, like, now parent he had. Even though he went and lived with his aunt, he still, we, we get this whole section about how he kept in touch with Andre. He had this great love for Andre. He called Andre his dad. Like, mm-hmm. he's living with his aunt but his dad lives out in California he I mean it like this man is everything to him and you know when you make those connections at eight years old it's hard to parse out what's real as you get older because we're seeing him as an adult you're like no Marcus you should know better and you have to remember that he was eight when all of this but you also don't want to believe something like that right you know because then you to if for all of that to be true Marcus has to say oh my god and that's where like the CIA thing becomes an unfortunate fact connected to the case because Andre can always say to Marcus yeah, but she worked for the CIA. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. like, she was dealing with sensitive... Sure. Like, it's a weird coincidence. Yeah. So finally, Marcus tells a story from about a month before the murder. It's October 1st, 1994. And this is what he says. He tells us. He tells, like, us and Josh. This is a really horrifying story. It's horrifying. So remember, it's a month before the murder. He heard... He was, like, in the house. He hears screaming. And just to remind you, he would have been eight years old when this happened. Right. I remember hearing them screaming and going into the bedroom 
them arguing and her telling me to call the police, call the cops. What was happening? That's when she said, you hit me. And then he said, well, you hit me first. And she looked at him like he was crazy. She screamed, call the cops. And then she moved towards the bed and he grabs her, tries to put his hands over her mouth. One hand over her mouth, one hand over her throat, and they fall on the bed. Andre has one hand on Marie's mouth, one hand on her throat. It's a mess. People are trying to either get the phone to call the cops or get the phone out of someone's hand so they don't call the cops. The little siblings are waking up. It is so terrible. So Marcus runs out to the hallway. There's a hall phone or whatever. The mom somehow gets away from Andre, runs out of the hall up the stairs to where the kitchen is. Andre chases her. All the silverware is falling all over the floor. Then she runs out of the kitchen into the bedroom, locks the door. Marcus watches Andre kick in the door. Then, calmly, turn around and put the door back on its hinges so the kids can't see what's happening in there. And closes it. And so Andre and Marie are in the bedroom. The kids are not. And Marcus says it was just quiet for a while after that. Then, we learn that during this attack, Marie was able to call 911 and we hear the call. All the voices are indecisive. You can't understand what anyone is saying. And then the call gets cut short. And so, but eventually what she says is, like, the cops come. And Marie says, everything's fine. I don't want to report anything. The cops leave and six weeks later, Marie was murdered. It's just so fucking awful. And poor Marcus is sitting here with Josh Mankiewicz saying like, just feeling all of this guilt and just really saying like, what could I have done? And Josh like totally levels with him. And it, I yeah. got the sense that like everyone forgot there were cameras on because Josh goes, you have to know this had nothing to do with you. You were eight. Like really, really wants to get through to Marcus in this moment and say like, I hear you, but try to let that part of it go because you had nothing to do with this. This is not your fault. He's so conflicted because even after he gave this interview to the cops and basically now like he has a story, you know, that shows that Andre is capable of this kind of murder. Yeah. Even after sharing that story with the cops, he still doesn't want to testify against Andre, his dad, essentially. Right. So he served with a subpoena and he ignores it. He rips it up. He tears it. He tells us the story gleefully. He's chuckling. So the prosecutor. I had to have Marcus arrested. It it was very hard. I've got to have him arrested when he's a victim. Unpleasant. Very unpleasant. Lewin, the prosecutor, and Marcus, the witness, were at odds. And if the prosecutor's star witness didn't show up for trial, Andre could easily walk free. He's like, look, if I can just get this kid to show up, we can show, we can prove to him in court that this guy's the killer. He did this. Right. But like, just like, he serves him the subpoena. Marcus ignores it. He has Marcus arrested. But even still, he's not sure that Marcus is going to show up on the appointed day at court. Now, my question is, can you get arrested for ripping up a subpoena? What did they arrest him for? Yeah, for like ignoring a subpoena, you can you get can? arrested for okay. that. Okay. 18 years after Marie's murder, Andre is on trial. Yeah. And Marcus doesn't show up at first. Yeah. So nothing came from that arrest. Thank you, prosecutor. <laughs> right. But he does show up. And he says that even when he did show up, he was a reluctant witness. Right. And we see him on the stand. And like something has changed because Marcus on the stand is telling the story and saying that like he believes it now, but he doesn't want to believe it. Of course. He's walking through the story. And like you forget how small those courtrooms are you can see Andre like sitting near him and like Marcus is like composed he's fine he's not like scared but like how heartbreaking that all these years later he has to like really confront the real truth about what he knows in his heart happened and that means that he's been carrying it with him for all those years in this conflicting guilty you know this way yeah 
And like to com- like to combat Marcus's testimony, oh, Andre takes the stand. So he's even the prosecutor is like, I did not see that coming. So he's maintaining his innocence. Yeah. Here's Andre's story the day of the murder. Jesus Christ. They didn't fight. Everything was perfect. He gave her a hug and a kiss. He embraced her. He left her at home. He went to go to his son's football game. And that bruised lip, it happened at the game because his son's helmet hit him in celebration. Uh And that's where (laughs) he got the bruised lip. Yeah. He, Andre says he only knew that Marie was missing when he got home from the game. And he says, like, oh, that's so weird that her car was at the beach, like, right where I was passing out flyers. I absolutely didn't see it. What a weird coincidence. He's like, I just went down there for a nice, peaceful lunch. Totally didn't see the car. The prosecutor on cross-examination says to him, When Andre left the beach, he had to drive right past Marie's car. Is it fair to say that as you're driving, Mr. Jackson, the main thing on your mind is looking for that car? Where could that sob be? Is that fair to say? Not in in that moment where I was driving on a scenic route at the beach. Wait, wait, a scenic route? Yes. I was enjoying the scenic route. Okay, you can go fuck yourself. (laughs) The scenic route? That's literally what the prosecutor says. He goes, the scenic route? Anyone else would have said some variation of... Did I put up flyers? I was in such a daze. I don't even remember that I did it. Like I, mean, I was in, I was so traumatized. And I, you know what I mean? The yeah. scenic route. Are you kidding? It's also just so confusing to me because it's like, wait, like once again, a little more context to your dateline. Are they saying that he killed her, put her in the trunk, drove the car down to the beach, and then like got basically got out of the car and started putting up. Like, I think right, what they're right. trying to say is that he wanted the car to be found. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Like, obviously, he's not trying to hide the body. He's not trying to like even... I don't know, but like he's putting the body in the in the car in the place where he's putting the missing person's posters with the description of the car. So like he wants some exactly what happened with that guy Tim is what he right. wanted to have happen. And where's the proof that he didn't write that letter blaming the CIA? Right. To just get the attention off of him. Right, because they tell us it's just some like anonymous no-name coworker. And it seems like maybe he, it was a terrible plan, but he was like, oh, I'll just blame it on the CIA. Uh-huh. Like, and then that they'll just be, like, investigating that. It definitely won't be me. It just, what? It, it's all very confusing, because it's like, if you're the killer, why would you park the car and then start putting up, like, descriptions of the car 15 right. feet away from the car? I don't know. You know what I, I mean? mean I mean, I love when people like this are idiots. We also hear earlier in the episode that he told Marie's friends specifically to go hand out flyers at that exact right. same right, beach. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I don't get it. Like you like you wanted the body to be I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. I, I don't know. Why are you connecting yourself to the beach where you just put the car with your wife's dead body in the trunk? I don't know. I'm glad he's an idiot though. Right. That part makes me happy. So like it gets to closing arguments, and I was like, <laughs> you know what? The prosecution's closing argument is pretty strong. The guy goes, There's only one person in this case who six weeks prior to the murder was observed choking Marie. There's only one person in this case who drove right past Marie's car when they were looking for it. There's only one person who left a fresh drop of blood on Marie's car. There's only one person that murdered Marie Jackson. And he's sitting right there. And that person is sitting right there. You think Andre's like, where is Izzy here? I know. And the thing about that, though, too, that I think is really important, Andre admits the fight. Like, Andre confirms Marcus's story, that fight six weeks before. Right. He says that absolutely happened. So he's not even trying to discredit Marcus in that Uh way. So he's admitting that this horribly violent, very scary situation happened. But he's like, no, no, but it didn't happen the day of the murder. Come on. And he's probably only admitting to it because of the 911 call. 
Sure. You know, yeah, like I'm, there's proof that it happened. Yeah, I'm sure his lawyer's like, okay. And the police came, so like we know it happened. Right, yeah. right. But yeah, in the end, it goes to the jury and they come back and he's fucking guilty. Yeah, 25 to life in prison. Bye. Bye. Like, <laughs> goodbye. Bad bye. I don't oh, want anything bad, good to. Bad like, bye. later. Not, you know what? We need to start bringing out bad byes bad more bye. often. Bye, bad bye. Just get out of goodbye. my face. <laughs> get out of my life. Oh my God, girl! We did Dateline. What's the episode called? It's called Missing Marie. My God, what a what a! It was an interesting episode. What a badass woman! I it's know. So fucking sad. It's so fucking sad. Fam, we mentioned it at the top, but join us on the Patreon. You get over three hundred and fifty full ad-free bonus episodes. Right. We're talking everything from Don't F with Cats to Tiger King. Remember that one? I do. McMillions and the Jinx and Pepsi Wars by Jet and Bad Vegan and Heaven's Gate. That Gacy thing on Peacock. Yeah, I that Gacy thing on Peacock did a number on me. It went on. For it was like it's six episodes. Yeah, I think. Was, like, we did all twenty episodes of Making a Murderer. We did combine one, so it's only nineteen of our episodes. That's not a joke. <laughs> there are two seasons of Making a Murderer. There are t- they are ten episodes apiece. We did them all. It's true. We did that really last one. We did Serial way back in the day. That's how we became friends with Rabia. That's true. Remember that? I do. That was crazy. The Staircase, which I revisited like last year when they did the HBO um, fictionalized uh-huh. version. Yeah. Oh my god, The Staircase is bananas. Oh my god, so crazy. But at the ten dollar level, you also get ad free versions of these episodes. We do after parties where we like take we, your questions we give advice yeah we give advice or we just like catch up yeah. sometimes we haven't seen each other in a while or we like haven't been able to have catch up sessions during recordings yeah. which sometimes we do for 30 minutes before we hit record go to true crime obsessed click on the patreon link or go to patreon.com slash true crime obsessed yeah um what's the next dateline girl okay don't get excited oh no it's called death of a golden girl oh no season 18 episode 22 it is it is something else. It's not like an actual Golden Girl. It is, is not it? the life and times okay. of any of the Golden Girls. Of B. Arthur? No, it's not. It is not. Um, but they call, she has like blonde hair, so they call her a, a Golden, Golden Girl. Girl. Great. Sure. Well, stay tuned for the trailer for that and our funny and hilarious outtakes. And I, I'm so happy doing these bonus episodes again, girl. I'm so happy that people want us to do I it. I know, me too. And that people are so excited about what we're covering and stuff. So we're happy to be able to do this for you. We yeah. love it. Well, we love you, fam. Yeah, we love you. We'll see you on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. And then Friday on Patreon. Oh my goodness. Oh my. So much us here. Welcome, world. (laughs) And I'm sorry. All right, goodbye. Okay, bye. Blonde and beautiful. She was a knockout. She was a stunner. A steamy Playboy model wannabe. Looking for a golden girl. And when she arrived on the dance floor, party time. She actually kind of glowed in the dark. But this party ended a little early. You pulled out a photocopy of her earring, and I knew it was her. A brutal murder that left her boyfriend devastated and first on the list of people police wanted to interview. There's a history of domestic violence. He hit her, she hit him. Case closed, not after investigators find a secretly recorded video, her last appearance before the cameras. When we saw it, we go, wow, it was her. Was a model's date with death caught on tape? We do have a deranged, sadistic killer out there Wait, I think I have a sneeze. Oh, no. What's going to happen? How's this going to end? It's gone. Anticlimactic. I'm sorry. It left. You know when you feel it, like, right here? Oh, yeah. And then for me, like, if the sneeze doesn't happen, then it burns. That's the worst. It's, I get, I'm getting a little oh. stinger. Yeah. <laughs> but it's gone. I'm a good sneezer. Go right into the armpit. Steve sometimes sneezes so loudly <laughs> that I feel, you know, like, the thing. That's like, such a dad thing. Uh, <laughs> that every 
my dad. Well, we have this little dog now. The fucking dog like did like a bat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you say that. This is the most boring thing ever. But uh, the other <laughs> such a dad thing. The other morning, my and I like sneezed. We were just like saying good morning, and I sneezed, and it ended up that we were both doing like impressions of how the other sneezes. <laughs> And I was like, this "Oh my is god!" It. This Steve is it. like full open mouth sneezes, like it's with the so whole body. Loud. Yeah, my dad does it too. Yeah, I've done one of those. Have you ever had like sneeze and then like your back hurts? No, <laughs> to me. no. But I have the the multi sneezes. Oh no, Daisy does that. I'll have like maybe. <laughs> it's been a while since you fell off your chair. I just I just fell out of my chair, everybody. Did oh you hit the little I thing? Hit the little, the I hit lever. the little lever. Oh, my um, God. Anyway, 